Hello and welcome to Living the Culture of Life podcast by Human Life International. I'm your host, Colleen Haupt, and I'm joined today by Father Bouquet. Oh, Colleen, as always, great to be with you in this new year. Yes, and today we're going to be discussing Pope Benedict XVI and just the contributions he made to the pro-life movement. So, yeah, let's start with that, Father. How did he impact the pro-life movement and community? Sure. Well, you know, in my article, when I'm addressing this topic, Mm -hmm. you know, the first thing I, you know, as I was reflecting and thinking, you know, uh, especially when I was asked to, you know, contribute a statement, you know, in anticipation of, of Benedict XVI's death. And, uh, you know, within a day after me writing a statement and, you know, it happened. And I, I reflected, you know, what contribution did, did Benedict bring to the pro-life movement? And, and, I, I, and I sat down for a while and just started thinking of the documents, the various statements, publications, uh, the way in which Benedict, you know, contributed, you know, to the life of the church in articulating the truth about marriage, about human persons, and about the dignity of life, and and how even as priest and eventually as bishop, and especially as a prefect for the Congregation for the Doctrine and the Faith, how he, you know, not only defended what the church's uh, t- teaching is and uh, and continues to be, but how he helped, you know, promulgate documents on behalf of the church and on behalf of the Holy Father uh, to advance that the church's teaching. I'm thinking of Donum Vitae, for example, you know, on the, on the, on the, and trying to deal with the issue of, uh, that's confronting of our world today, euthanasia, you know, the whole issue of, of same-sex union and, you know, the assault on the ends of marriage. I mean, Benedict was right in the heart of it. I mean, as, as, as Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, as Benedict XVI, always there. And always you could, you could fall back to him in a sense of knowing that the Holy Father, prefect for the congregation, was going to uphold what the church in her perennial teaching says. And that was, there's comfort in that, and there's an assurance in that. And there's a strength in knowing that the Holy Father's walking with us. And that's how I always felt, you know, during his time as prefect, but especially as his time as Holy Father. And, and so as I was writing that statement, that's what I began to think about, how he, you know, John Paul walked with us, you know, and we walked with John Paul. And I'm, so it's a mutual walk. It's a, it's a mutual pilgrimage, yeah. walking alongside each other. And, you know, and as I do that, I, I don't mean in any way, you know, to, uh, to not speak about how our, our Holy Father, Pope Francis, walks with us. I mean, he speaks on these issues as well and, and carries those issues forward, you know, just in a different way and how he addresses them and how he speaks to them. But he is speaking about these same issues and these same concerns. And, and so we'll, we'll have our chance, you know, obviously to talk about that as we go forward forward in time um, about our Holy Father. But with Benedict XVI, you know, just to know that, you know, through those various uh, means, the statements and the publications and the documents and the books he wrote, you know, these were tools and instruments that we could use. And so that's what I mean, you know, in a sense of how he supported the pro-life movement and how he, uh, and not only supported it, but how he advocated for it. I mean, he called us out, you know, to to get involved, to not be afraid. I remember many statements that he would speak about in the political life, you know, that we should not be afraid of, of being engaged in political conversations and governmental debates. We should run toward it as Christians, not be afraid of it, but to bring light to it, to be the salt the leaven within it. And so this is how he approached the conversation of human dignity on the issue, whether at the beginning of life or at the end of life. So we, we do owe uh, Benedict you know, a tremendous amount of gratitude uh, for what he has given to the church and the service of the church, but especially uh, in the pro-life movement. 
Well, and it seems like he had a little bit of a unique perspective too, given his childhood. Like he saw what happened when you didn't respect human life Correct. at, con- like, I guess maybe not as much conception, but human dignity and at the end of life and Correct. saw people as objects to be used. That's right. I think that's an interesting... Well, especially during, you know, the, uh, during the Second World War. And, yeah. You know, and obviously it was, a, if I remember correctly, it was a, it was a cousin, if I, if I remember correctly. 14-year-old cousin who had Down syndrome, Down syndrome that was, one. was put to death. And, mm-hmm. and so that really affected him. Uh, in many ways, and I've, I've read many articles and, you know, even comments of, 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 of Cardinal Ratzinger and then of Pope Benedict, uh, you know, kind of on this issue. I think it was very personal to him, and mm-hmm. I think it shaped his understanding, you know, of, of what happens, you know, when we lose sight of human dignity and we begin to compartmentalize, you know, our understanding of the human person and we begin to, uh, you know, uh, dehumanize certain individuals. And, mm-hmm. and so uh, this carried him forward, which in many ways we all know from John Paul II this also shaped his understanding. Exactly, and and it and I, I, that's what I love about uh, the Holy Spirit, and 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 how the Holy Spirit motivates these great souls like 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 Joseph Ratzinger, by taking that circumstance and calling him. You know, are you willing to walk? You know, can are you willing to give your life in the service of the church? And he would, and and he responded, and and so it, this really shaped his his movement forward, and and how he wrote various documents, and how he addressed certain issues, and bioethical issues, and ethical and moral dilemmas, and yeah. and so no, absolutely, uh, I think that you know when I uh, remember you know uh, when he when he first started writing you know as, as prefect. Mm-hmm. responding to various dubia questions that were addressed to the congregation, especially on the issue of like uh, uh, nutrition and hydration, mm-hmm. issues of euthanasia, the issue of same-sex unions, and you know those serving in political life. I mean, th- this all came from a young boy who saw what could happen when we lose sight of truth, when we begin to abuse human freedom, when we begin to create, uh, 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 as we know it, relativism, this mindset that the truth is what I want it to be, and we can also see what happens when, uh, when the world itself, you know, uh, fails to recognize great evil, like we saw in many aspects of the Second World War, where human persons were were treated as things, and and many many millions of lives were lost, and we're seeing it today, uh, you know, Colleen, and we're seeing it with the beginning of life, with abortion, the violence against human life and its very innocence and and, and beginning and development, all the way now to its end at, with euthanasia and mm-hmm. uh, with the, the the whole movement we're seeing in our world today. So. Uh, this is why we, we owe Benedict. Uh, he's like John Paul, and I talk about this in my, my article uh, uh, today, uh, this week, and just the, uh, the, the, uh, the, we call John Paul, which we, we should, you know, the, this great pro-life, you know, uh, leader and this, uh, you know, the, this wonderful uh, example of being what it means to be pro-life. And, but behind John Paul, you know, uh, and not, does not diminish John Paul. So I want to make sure as I say this, I don't want to give any impression but we're, these two great minds, these two great personalities contributing to this wonderful conversation of how to advance the culture of life. And so, you know, John Paul, there he is with Evangelium Vitae and many of the other documents. But behind it is, is Joseph Ratzinger mm-hmm. reading these documents, making recommendations, maybe encouraging the Holy Father to, to, to consider this point, maybe approach it from this direction, things that we don't know. We know that it's pinned and signed by the Holy Father. But behind it are so many other people contributing. And no doubt that Cardinal Ratzinger, that John Paul depended on so much 
was behind a lot of those documents and many of those pages, you know, he had himself contributed to, and maybe even was the was the writer itself in, in some way to some of those smaller documents or statements and that John Paul obviously affirmed and and, and promulgated. So we, we owe them both. I mean, I do believe that they they really are together in this mm-hmm. great cause and um and we owe them a tremendous amount of gratitude, both of those men. Um, one now Saint John Paul, and now uh, Pope Benedict, who has gone before us. And we we pray that you know the Lord who sees all that good work and who knows all that good work and recognizes the service that that Benedict brought and he gave in his in his love and his service to the Church and God's people that he will be a welcomed servant in the in the Master's kingdom. So it's it's it, it, but we need to pause and really mm-hmm. think about. You know, and, and time, of, uh, Colleen, is going to show us this. As we go forward, we're going to be, like with John Paul, we're going we're we're to revisit those documents. We're going to revisit those writings. We're going to have people writing books about them. We're going to have articles written. And it's just going to bring to bear so much more that we know, maybe have forgotten or didn't know. Mm-hmm. And it's going to even contribute even more, you know, and uh, to this great work. And I find myself of late, and I've been saving it now for, uh, I was going to pick it up recently, and I put it back down, uh, Jesus of Nazareth. That's not, And mm-hmm. I'm going to keep it now for the Lenten season um, because I wanted to go back and read it again. And uh, I find it one of his greatest works and uh, among his works. And uh, so, but uh, but from the pro-life stance, I mean, his encyclicals, uh, you know, dealing with human development, challenging the mindset of the world uh, that, that looks at, uh, at human flourishing purely from a utilitarian point of view, from the point of view of a relativistic point of view, uh, rejecting, you know, authentic freedom, rejecting human dignity. Those documents, you know, were phenomenal. And I use them so often in my, in my writing and in my thought. Forgive my lack of knowledge. What are some of those? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm going to pull my article out because I'm going to make reference to some of them. I recognize so, the names of a lot, but I don't right, remember who right. wrote what. <laughs> so the one that I, I make note of in the column directly, mm-hmm. all right, is Caritas and Veritate. Okay. So this is one that— Love you know, and Truth? Yes. Okay. So I, here I'm looking at, you know, pretty much looking mostly at paragraph n- number 28, Okay. So for those that go to the column, you get the links and all. Yeah. But this was where I was really in my statement uh, before his death, and obviously at the, at the time of his death, really went right to this. Because as we started with, you know, his contribution to the defense of human life, the defense of marriage between one man and one woman, you know, the, the argument against this mindset of euthanizing people and this, I mean, these are all tremendous things we owe him gratitude for. But here in the writing is where we see this great contribution for our movement mm-hmm. in, in advancing the culture of life. And I'm not, I, I'm not going to quote from the article, but I'm hoping people will come by and, and read and click on the links to Caritatis and Veritate because it's, it's, it's worth the time. But here what he talks about is, and I'm going to read just a little bit of it, he confronts the mindset, the, the, this post-modernity, all right, where society has opted for the choice that truth is the only the product of one's own efforts. Now, that's not a quote, but this is what he's confronting. Mm-hmm. He's confronting this mindset. And so in here, he explains, all right, that, you know, that, that we, we have to recognize that real human flourishing, real authentic human development, all right, 
So sustainable development is a term we hear, you know, coming out of the UN and many political documents. And we know that basically there are so many euphemisms that we hear, uh, right? Mm -hmm. This is one of them. Why? Because typically when you hear sustainable development, even though it could be used in a proper understanding, but from those in the West, the mindset is the way that you promote sustainable development is you have to have reproductive you know, freedom and you have to have the reproductive technologies and all the various ways. So abortion is, is a right. You have to have a right to abortion, contraception, you know, the whole understanding of euthanasia. You know, these things are unacceptable. This is not how you sustain authentic human development. What Pope Benedict would make clear is authentic human development begins with human dignity. And that that's where it originates, and that's where it starts in the human person and the respect that is owed to every human person. And from that point, we then build systems, all right, that will sustain authentic human development. Because why? We start with the human person, and we end with the human person, and we do no harm to the human person, and we advance nothing that would cause harm to the human person. And so why? Because we're serving the human person, Colleen. That's, this is the mindset that the church teaches, advances, defends. And this is what Benedict is speaking about here in paragraph particularly 28 and a few other paragraphs that go with that. But I would encourage our listeners, if you're not familiar with this particular encyclical, it's the third of his encyclicals. Okay. And it's really, all of them are worth, right? But this is the one I was always drawn to. You know, especially when I was dealing with maybe given presentations in different, you know, in, in, in environments. Sometimes, you know, I've, I've given presentations at the United Nations. I've given presentations in political entities. And I will draw from these documents, you mm-hmm. know, to, to help remind those in leadership that I'm, the church is with you. Mm-hmm. We want to promote true development and have sustainable development, but in the proper understanding. And anything that contradicts the dignity of the human person is unacceptable. And for Benedict, that was clear, you know, and he made it perfectly clear in that that encyclical that there is no advancement forward as long as human life is threatened. And so for me, as a a pro-life leader, you know, this is a a rally call. This This is a banner I can pick up. Mm-hmm. And and sadly, so many people in the pro-life movement may not even be familiar with this. Mm-hmm. They may not even know the tremendous contributions that 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 Cardinal Ratzinger and eventually Pope Benedict the Sixteenth contributed to our cause, mm-hmm. to this great campaign we call as John Paul, right? This great campaign in the support of human life. So we that's why I'm saying it's really we do owe him mm-hmm. great gratitude. Well, what other lessons can we learn from his life? I know you talked about this a little bit in the column, and I really liked what you were saying about silence, but you also mentioned gratitude, I believe. So can you go into those a little bit? Well, if, if you read, you know, some of the, the, the parts, the, the latter part of the column, but yeah. it, it, for, for, I'll, for gratitude, one thing that always impressed me about uh, having met Cardinal Ratzinger, mm-hmm. I never, sadly, never had the joy of meeting Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Okay. And so, so I knew, I met him as Cardinal Ratzinger, and uh, and I was always really, you know, uh, always impressed, you know, with his approach. If you met him in St. Peter's Square, for example, walking across the piazza, and you stopped him, he would stop. Where are you from? Who are you? Tell. Me. And maybe it was just thirty seconds, a minute. But he would. This is something so beautiful about the man that he really cared, and he was attentive. And, and I, I loved, you know, as he was reflecting on his life, 
and some of the comments and articles and some of the interviews I've, I've, I've seen and heard since caught my attention of a man who was so grateful for his life, grateful for being able to contribute you know, in some manner to the life of the church, to contribute to the work and mission of our Lord Jesus Christ, and, and to hear him speak, you know, to this as he's reflecting on life. And, and you saw that in many of his writings of, of, of the latter years, mm-hmm. where he's so grateful for being given life by his parents, even life during a very difficult time in, in, in those early years, grateful for being given an opportunity to, to give to the church a return for all that she had given to him. And I li- that spirit of gratitude is something that uh, that I hope is contagious to all of us to mm-hmm. always be grateful and to realize that our gifts that are God-given gifts are for the glory of God and the good of each other and the well-being of, of, of our society. And, and that to me is what always came across in my impression mm-hmm. of Ratzinger and Pope Benedict XVI. And then with regard, you know, to his, the latter years, the years that we've come to know in these last nine, almost 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, I, I reflected on his quietness. He, as he was, one of his final, you know, presentations, talks, you know, was that he was going to, to fall back on prayer. He was thinking, as we've been hearing of late, that, you know, more, being reminded of late since his death, that, that Pope Benedict XVI be- believed, and we can, we're not here to uh, agree or disagree with his decision, you know, to to resign, you know, and to step down. But he really, what we're hearing is that he believed that his life was drawing toward an end, and so, but obviously something else was at work. You know, God was at work in a different way that Benedict at the time maybe did not fully see in, in his in his vision and mindset at the moment. And so, but the Lord unfolded before him a different kind of journey, one that had to be very difficult. You know, especially now that, you know, each year that would pass, you know, so he was not dying, at least as he may have thought. Uh, life was not going to be as short as he may have thought. And so what is his response? His response, as I mentioned in my column, uh, what you've, Colleen, you know well, me preaching here in our chapel, but also as talking, Cardinal Seurat's book, The Power of Silence, it made me think of this, that, you know, that, that basically, mostly Benedict's voice became silent. He became one that just began to reflect and to contemplate things. And then when we did get something, I mean, it it did show a a man who had thought this through, was reflecting, was contemplating. And but he taught us also how to look at the difficulties. And no one knows what happened, you know, behind those doors, so to speak. And Mm -hmm. in the sense, you know, as he looked at the struggles of what the church was going through, you know, whether it had been, you know, as he inherited the difficulties of some of the scandals within the church and how he Mm -hmm. dealt with them when he was the the, the Holy Father. And then what was happening since that time, Mm -hmm. uh, how difficult that must have been, the the various ways that the uh, what was happening inside the church and the various uh, approaches must have caused him, you know, moments of great difficulty uh, in how to address them. How, what would he do? And so he was not the one responsible. He was no longer, you know, the Holy Father, you know. Yeah. And so his response was to step into the quietness and and to uh, and to to witness you know, to the transformative power of that silence and to allow Christ, you know, to really be the light and to be to be the word. And I think he, with all that, he was teaching us something, you know, in these latter years. He was helping us very, in a different way, as John Paul. You know, John Paul witnessed to us, in a, in a way, that same power of silence, mm-hmm. a man whose voice was so powerful, 
you know, whose presence everyone knew when he came into a room, you know, walked on a stage. And yet in those latter latter years, and especially that latter, that final year, was so difficult, you know, in those months before his death where he could no longer speak, where he, you know, had lost, you know, some control, you know, and we saw it. We, we, we saw this. Here we didn't get a chance to see too much, except maybe once in a while a picture would come out and we would see you know, the frailty of, of Benedict. And we would see a man, you know, getting up in years, 94, 95. And, and so his body, you know, working against him, you know, as the late Monsignor Barrero would say, the, the body fights against me as he was dealing with cancer and, and eventually uh, the cancer would succeed in, in winning that little battle of, of human life. And, but, but here again, just like with Monsignor Barrero, Pope Benedict XVI, we know that death has no power to one who, who believes. And so the light shines forth. And that really touched me. And, and, and I know that as we go forward in time, I'm hoping more people will contemplate that. You know, there, uh, people say, oh, he should have done, he ought to have done, could have done. All that could be true. But there's something here that we need to learn from. And the recognition with humility, the recognition with a man who accepted where he was and the decision he had made, and the consequences of that decision, Colleen, and how he needed to to really diminish, and that that had to be hard for for a man so gifted, you know, that, that that could address so many issues so easily, and whose writing flowed so beautifully, and but he chose, you know, to remain in that silence and uh, and not allow the distraction of the noise. And as Cardinal Sarad speaks, there's. There is the dictatorship of noise, and that noise is not just in the secular world. You know, sadly, it's even within the church and in and, and some of the, the day-to-day operations and politic that happens, and it wants to draw us in and agitate, you know, mm-hmm. constantly. But Pope Benedict shows us, you know, you know, how to deal with those moments, too, and how to surrender and how to, to just really be what our la- Simeon tells Our Lady, you know, that a sort of sorrow shall pierce your heart. And she kept all these things in her heart. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me a lot of Benedict, you know. And uh, now time will tell, you know, as we go forward, yeah. we're going to hear lots of different things. But I hope that we don't lose sight of what he taught us from that monastery. You know, those those wonderful moments of when he did speak or when he did issue some writing, or that may still come forward. We, we don't know. Maybe he was working on something that, you know, may come out now. That you know that he was working on in a, in a book or reflection that'll tell us more about the the the, the life of Benedict. Uh, I, I'm hoping that is the case. I'd love to see something else from him. But I, I to me that's the things that touched me. His gratitude and and one of the kind of the most uh, the latter things that he mentioned. And I'll just say this, and I'll toss it back to you. Is the he, he reflected on gratitude again for family. Mm-hmm. You know, even for the fellow bishops, the priests, the, the religious, the people of God that he was so privileged to have met, mm-hmm. spent time with. He, he was so grateful. And I'm hoping for myself, I'll speak for myself, that when, whenever that moment comes, I hope I'm, I'm aware of, and, 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 and able to articulate that, to mm-hmm. be able to really express gratitude uh, for everything, mm-hmm. the good and the difficult, and to be able to, to thank the Lord. You know, for life. So I'm hoping that 
will be the case, you know, for myself. You know, that's what I want. So, but uh, I, there's so much here mm-hmm. that we, 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 we can learn from Benedict XVI, but also so much that he has contributed. So mm-hmm. it's not gone. No. It's here. And now it's up to us to pick it up, to take those teachings, to take what he's, what he's given to us and what the church has given us, uh, you know, and to, and to move it forward. I think if we're going to, you know, honor that legacy, Mm-hmm. Just as we did with uh, John Paul II, and that is to take up that really that 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 call, you know, to go out, you know, to evangelize, you know, to bring forth the good news, to to go out uh, to the ends of the earth and proclaim the gospel of life. I mean, if we want to to really show what kind of impact John Paul had, what Benedict had, then we need to take what they have given to us and be grateful for it, and out of gratitude then share that good news. Well, thank you so much, Father. Um, just quickly, I think you kind of just touched on that, but like how can we like follow his example when it comes to like, I guess like mostly defending life and family, but you just were expressing gra- like having gratitude for those moments right. and like their teaching and picking up his I, I writings. Mean, <laughs> I mean, I've seen again, a lot of people writing. I would say, Colleen, with that, obviously the gratitude, we've talked about that, but mm-hmm. also, you know, his articulation of truth. Not okay. to be afraid of the truth. I mean, the truth is what sets us free. It's what liberates us. It's mm-hmm. what unshackles us. And so there are a lot of uh, false language today that we're dealing with, a lot of illusion out there. And relativism runs amok. We, we know this. This is something he, he spent his life confronting, you know, the falsifications. And so we, again, this is why we have to understand what the church teaches Mm-hmm. why she teaches it, and then share that teaching. So it's not meant to be hoarded. It's not meant to be kept in silos. It's meant to be proclaimed. And that's what Benedict did. I mean, he was not, he was, uh, not afraid you know, to confront the lies and address mm-hmm. them. We need to be articulate in that way as well. Also, what I would say is you know, it was clear, as we alluded to a little bit, but no doubt a man of deep prayer, mm-hmm. a man of contemplation, a man that reflected and so it's, especially when you read, if you, again, for the, our audience that have not, if you want to give yourself a great Lenten gift, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, you know, it's a, a beautiful book, and it's worth the time and the, and, and, and the, and the resource uh, mm-hmm. to invest in it. It's, you can really understand, you know, that we're not talking as a man of faith, mm-hmm. a man of deep faith. And I, I, and I love what he says toward the latter part of his life, and that is, Jesus is the way. Mm-hmm. There is no other way. He, so he's quoting scripture, of course, but he's reminding us. He's giving us testimony. He's witnessing. Yeah. This is a man who believes, believed, and, and wanted others to know. And so we should not be. So if we, again, that's our call now. We have to go out. We have to proclaim. We have to be light and salt. So this is, what it, again, what it means to me, what I pull, pull from his life is to learn, to be humble enough to be a student, Mm-hmm. learn and as a student who has then learned knowing out of gratitude what has been shared with me i in turn go out and share with others and we do it with firm resolve and we do it respectfully mm-hmm. but we do it nonetheless and so it's very important in that regard the other thing is to is to is to have compassion mm-hmm. you know one thing you know many people spoke of, uh, of then cardinal ratzinger uh, in a very negative light, you know, in calling him names and one of the ones, and I'm not going to repeat it here. And I never really liked it, you know, mm-hmm. because when you when you knew the man and met the man, and I've only met him on those very very limited occasions, um, and that that is not who this a man who is a true man of compassion, of concern, 
of wanting the well-being of others and moved with such a, a desire to help someone to, to know that truth and to be able to hear that truth and then to walk in the light of that truth. This is something that, that speaks of a man who loves, who really cares, and who's concerned about my well-being, your well-being, and not the man that many people you know, said he, he was and tried to paint him to be. But mm-hmm. I think that was just an excuse so they can try to you know, excuse you know, uh, their responsibility to, to, to the truth. And so, but he would have none of that, and he just stayed the course. I learned from that as well, and I think that's a good teaching to draw from Pope Benedict XVI. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Father. That's a beautiful reflection on his life. I hope I can, I need to do more reading of his of his works because I haven't read that much. So, yeah, um, I guess that's all we're going to talk about. So. No, I would say we need to pray, yeah. we need to pray for, for Pope yeah, Benedict XVI. Yeah. We need to uh, know that uh, they. Uh, he's now, uh, I think in a very beautiful way, he's actually in the uh, tomb where John Paul, St. John Paul II was oh. uh, bef- uh, before he was brought upstairs as mm-hmm. Pope St. John Paul II. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there's any coincidence with that. Uh, and so I think that was his, I think that was Benedict's request, mm-hmm. but I think it's, I think it's very telling and, yeah. and very, very beautiful to see. And I know that many pilgrims are already making their way through, you know, to pay their respects to him. And I will be in Rome uh, in, uh, in a few weeks for some, uh, some meetings. And I'm hoping that the, the Lord will permit me uh, to be able to pay a little visit as well. And if I do, I will bring, you know, obviously, all of our intentions uh, to prayer uh, in, in St. Peter's, but, but also to, to keep praying for our Holy, uh, Holy Father, to pray for him. Pray for the repose of his soul, and and you know, and also to you know to if we as we should you know ask his intercession you know and you know on for the intentions and I've been already started asking his prayer you know intention uh, intercession you know for our pro life work mm-hmm. for especially you know and uh, as I write in my column you know for those of us engaged in the international pro life movement mm-hmm. I've already started asking him for very specific things so I'm hopeful. And, and, and mindful that if these are answered, I will say a prayer of gratitude. Thank you, Father. And to all of our listeners, um, please like, follow, subscribe, um, share with your friends, whether you're listening on YouTube, Rumble, or our audio platforms. And keep on living the culture of life. Remember to pray for Pope Benedict XVI's soul. And God bless. <laughs>